This morning we're going to be looking at the woman at the well in John chapter 4. And if you're like me, I read it kind of at surface level and then figure out like the spiritual implications and what's kind of God is doing in this passage. What I would like to do this morning is go a little bit deeper and go to the background, more to the history of this. Because, again, as I read it and as I've heard it preached to me, you know, living water and how that refreshes your spirit and you're renewed and transformed and live this new life. But this past couple of weeks, God has been saying, let's, let's go a little bit deeper. So John chapter 4, we'll read verse 1 through 9. Now, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making more disciples or baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus wearied as he, had, as he was from the journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for, ask for a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Just to give you a little background again into what's going on right here, Jesus, um, going from Judea to Galilee, there's two routes that he could have taken. Typically, he would have taken, as a Jewish man, the route that goes along this way. Um, the route that would have went through Gentile region, Gentile territory. But he went through the Samaritan region. And it's interesting because growing up, he would have gone through that Gentile region because the Jewish people had such an aversion to the Samaritan people. They didn't want to have anything to do with him, them. And we see in verse 4, and he had to pass through Samaria. What does that mean? Why did he have to pass through Samaria? Jesus had to travel through the Samaritan region. And I believe this is because of divine appointment. That he was going to meet with the woman at the well. That God had a plan for her. And Jesus had a calling. And instead of going the other route, he went through Samaria. See, Jacob's well we see in um, Genesis 33, 18 through 20, where Jacob bought this land. So he went in tents with his livestock and his family, bought this land from Shechem. And in that area, there was a lot of springs of water. And he certainly could have gotten water from any part of that area. However, that was not his property. And who are you to get somebody else's water? So he built a well. Now, this well would have been hundreds of feet, 135, I, I read, but over 100 feet deep. And again, many springs in the area, but he built this well for his family. So Jesus talking to a Samaritan woman during the day, and she's all alone at the well. What does this mean? A Jew, Jewish man talking to 
a Samaritan woman. It's in the middle of the day, about noon, and she's alone. Now, typically, what would happen is the women would gather, they would walk down in the cool of the morning and get water and bring it back. She's alone. It's the middle of the day. She's the outcast from this town. She's the outcast. And we'll circle back around with that when the disciples come into play. But in this, we see two religious groups. We see the Jewish people, and we see the Samaritan people. Now, they both believed in the Pentateuch, but the Samaritans didn't believe the full Hebrew Bible. They went on and had their own beliefs beyond the first five books of the Bible. So keep that in mind as we continue to read. Because also, one other thing I want to point out is, think about her mindset. Get into her head as we read through this and as we look deeper into this. We'll continue in verse 10. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would ask of him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us this well and drank from it, as did his sons and livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never thirst again. The water that I give him will become in him springs of living water up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water again. Give me a drink of water. You should ask me for living water. How was this woman supposed to know that who Jesus was? And how was she supposed to know to ask him for a drink of water? As she said, you have no bucket. It's over 100 feet deep. How are you going to get this living water? Because, again, the well goes down to this underground stream that flows. Where do you get this living water? Where do you see it? Well, in Jeremiah 2.13, it says, For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living water, and hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. The living water that comes to us as sinners. He's saying that water, we can't hold that water. And then she goes on to say, are, are you greater than our father Jacob? Are you greater than our father Jacob? So again, getting her in her mindset, the two different religions, the Jewish man coming up to her, talking to her about living water, what is she thinking now? What is her mindset? Living water, that's so interesting, right? This, this fountain of of, of joy, of love, of, of God's grace, of God's, you know, everything that God's doing, this living water. Now, again, getting back to the Samaritan religion, they believed on the Day of Atonement 
that their Savior was going to bring living water. Their Savior was named Tahib. And Tahib was going to give them buckets of water overflowing. So think about this. When he says, when Jesus says, I would have given you living water that you would not have thirst. And as maybe you're a child and a teen and you're growing up in the religion, and they say on the Day of Atonement, this Messiah, which they didn't call Messiah, that was more Hebrew, but this Christ, this Savior, is going to come and bring buckets of water overflowing. When I read that, I was very overwhelmed. I mean, think about this. We're talking about Jesus meeting different people. And pastors talked about Jesus meeting people where they are. And he's saying living water. He's essentially saying, I know your religion, and I know, you know, I am that person that's going to save you. And we find that in Numbers 24-7. Water shall flow from his buckets, and his seed shall be many waters. His king shall be higher than Agag, and his kingdom shall be exalted. But on the day of atonement, he'll bring living water. We're talking about redemption here. Jesus is trying to show her that he is the one to come. See, they believed in the second uh, Moses, that the first Moses came, and then in Deuteronomy 18, 15 through 19, it talks about the second Moses. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from among your brothers. There's going to be another one to come. And Jesus is trying to change her mindset right now of the physical realm of needing a drink of water to the spiritual realm of needing to be saved. As the outcast, as the sinner of the town, needing to be saved. A better Moses. And what does she say? Verse 15, I want that water. She's still thinking physically, but her mind is starting to shift. Sir, give me that water so that I will not thirst again, nor have to come here and draw water. Continue in verse 16 with me. Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. The woman answered, I have no husband. She said to her, you are right. You are right in saying, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and now the one you are now with is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worship on this mountain but you say that it is in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship that which you don't know. We worship what we know, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said to him, I know the Messiah is coming, he who is called the Christ. 
When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. At this point, we, we see conviction, right? So we've seen the living water giving us new life. And now we see this conviction, this grace, this go call your husband. Well, I don't have a husband. That's right, you had five husbands. And now the guy you're with now is still not your husband. Now, getting back to Jesus talking in her language to her about her story, it is known that in Samaria there are five deities that they would have worshipped. So it's said that perhaps these five husbands were those deities, and the one that she wasn't with right now was the true God, was Yahweh. So I found that to be interesting, the, the five husbands, and now the one you're with is not your husband, and coming to that. But we see Jesus' gentleness towards conviction. Even in our lives, the Holy Spirit comes saying, hey, that's not right, like, you need to confess these things. You need to repent of these things. You need to turn around and come back to Jesus. That Jesus died on the cross to take these things away from us. That we could live new lives. That we could drink that living water and be transformed and continue to become Christ-like. So who is this Jesus? She says... Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. And again, her mind, now her mind's starting to, to make some connections, right? That she's not just, we're not just talking about water here, a glass of water. We're talking about something bigger. So that thread of her religion and Jesus meeting her where she is and trying to draw out of her, it's not about the physical, it's about the spiritual, and it's not about your religion, but it's about the true religion that I'm trying to show you and teach you. In verse 20, we see, Our fathers worship on this mountain, but you say to worship in Jerusalem is the place where you ought to worship. Jewish, Jewish people would have worshipped in Jerusalem with the temple, right? Every year they come to the temple. Now for the Samaritan people, they worshipped at this mountain. We see this in... Uh, Deuteronomy 12, verse 5 says, But you shall seek the place that the Lord your God will choose out of all your tribes to put his name and make his habitation there. There you shall go. Two religions. Jewish people believed it was Jerusalem. They believed it was this mountain that they could worship God and meet God there. And there's this talk of spirit and in truth, worshiping God in spirit and in truth. And I, I feel like this echoes back to Jesus' encounter with Nicodemus. In John chapter 3, verse 8, it says, The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. I think in theory we know what spirit is. But scripture's saying here it's like the wind. Like you can't put your finger on it. You can't. 
And so when we worship God in spirit and in truth, again, the contrast between the two different religions and Jesus saying that I am the Messiah, I am the one to come to save on the Day of Atonement. Worship is not about the temple. It's not about this mountain. It's about a person. We see this in Revelation 21, 22. It says, and I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb. You see, it's not about a place. It's about a person. That's what he's trying to get at here. Let's continue in 27. Just then his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, what do you seek or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her jar and went away into the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. Let's pause right there. This is where it circles back to the woman at the well being the outcast. Right? Because the disciples, Jewish men in the tradition, they would have known that, well, we can't talk to the Samaritans, especially a woman, especially during the middle of the day. What's, what's her deal? What's going on? But it says, they marveled that he was talking with the woman, but no one said, what do you seek or why are you talking to her? Not even asking her, why are you here? What's going on? Not even asking Jesus. Give us some understanding. Nope. She was the outcast. I'm not even going to speak those words. But then we see the woman in verse 28. So she left her water jar. I think that's significant. I will give you water that you will not have to thirst again. So for her leaving the jar saying, amen, I believe this. I believe in the living water. And then she goes to her town and testifies of all that Jesus did. He knew everything. I don't know what everything is. We only saw the five husbands and the one husband. But he knew everything. And many Come to see the man, verse 29. See a man who told me everything I did. Can this be the Christ? Which is interesting. That's not her language, but that's the language that they've given us here in this passage. They went out of the town, and they were coming to Jesus. So she went back home, told a bunch of people. Now they're coming back to Jesus to see with their own eyes. I want to taste this living water. Let's continue in 31. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him some, something to eat? Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his works. Do you not say that there are yet four months then comes the harvest. 
Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life, so that the sower and the reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows, another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others labored, and you have entered into their labor. I, so the boys, Rabbi, eat. You're hungry, you know. It's a three days journey to Galilee. So you got to eat something, you got to drink something. Eat. He says, I have food to eat that you do not know about. Verse 32. Now, can you imagine being a disciple at that point saying, I mean, I would have done the same thing. Who had food? Who fed them? We went to go get food and now we're back and like who who gave him food in verse 34 so beautiful Jesus said to them my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his works Deuteronomy 8 3 through 7 says this and he humbled he humbled you let you hunger and fed you with manna which you did not know nor did your fathers know that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the Father. Your clothes did not wear out. Your, foot did not, your feet did not swell up these 40 years. Know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, the Lord God disciplines you. So you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God by walking in the ways and by fearing him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land of brooks, of water, of fountains and springs, flowing out in the valleys and hills. Jesus said it too in Matthew 4, 4. It is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of the Father. There is this satisfaction, this joy that we can get from doing the work of the Lord. That as we serve our community, as we serve our church, we fill this fullness that we don't necessarily, or rather can't fill with food. That Jesus saw that, that as he's ministering to people, the food is to do the will of my Father, the work of God. So I want to ask you this morning, what are, what are some of the things you're doing here at New Life? How are you serving God? How are you testifying about the work of Jesus in your life? I'm sure a lot of you are praying throughout the week, making phone calls, emails, letters, notes, leading community groups, being part of community groups, Lord willing, teaching our children, leading youth, leading your kids, grandkids, cleaning this facility, making sure everything is maintained so that on Sunday we just come and sit down and it's nice and cool and we can praise God together. Thank you.
thank you for the smallest thing you do and the biggest thing you do. You know, over these last 18 months to two years during the pandemic, we've had nobody in the building, and then we've had 80-plus in the building. And I praise God for that, and I thank you for the service that you've done. Because in and out through that whole time, we've seen Pastor on the camera in our homes. He's led worship, and I thank God for that. And finally today, he gets a break. Thank you. Gets to be with his family, gets to watch the service at home. But I think about new life, too, and the history of new life as it relates to this passage. He's talking about sowing and reaping. New life, 20-plus years old. I don't know the exact age. Uh, 20-plus. And some have been here from the beginning, and some have not. And see, because of these group, or, you know, the original families, we'll say, right? Because of their work, because of what they believed God was doing in this vision of new life, I'm here today. You're here today. Who's going to be here next week? See that as they labored, now we're getting the harvest. We're reaping that harvest of what they did so long ago. And I, I praise God for that, and I thank those families for that. Because there are people that we see today that had a big part of what God's doing here at New Life. And that's amazing. It's almost like what, we're, what we are reading right now. Right? Jesus is in Samaria, and we see people come to believe in Jesus. And then we look at Acts chapter 8, and we see Philip. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. And the crowds, with one accord, paid attention to what was being said by Philip. When they heard him and saw the signs that he did, unclean spirits came out, crying out with loud voice, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed so that there was much joy in that city. And I hope you can see the connection between what God is doing here in this ministry and what God is talking about in Scripture as we read. Let's continue in verse 39. Many Samaritans from the town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. After the three days, he departed to Galilee. Two days, sorry. even more believed in Jesus as the Savior of the world there in Samaria. And can we take a step back and again thinking in the mindset of the woman at the well, what if when those Samaritans came to her and said, hey, we believe now because we've tasted the living water, not just because of your testimony and what you've told us, 
What if she took an offense to that? What if something happened inside of her and, and she just felt down? Like, okay, I guess I'm not that important anymore. Now, we could easily say, well, you know, it's not about you. You're the vessel. It's glory to God and praise Jesus. But let's go to the human side. How would that have impacted her? And I want to say this this morning to encourage you that if you in your walk with the Lord, that if you in your ministry are at the end of your rope, that you just want to throw in the towel, I want to encourage you not to. Because God is doing a work in and through us. God is not done. Continue to serve Jesus. See, in my 20-plus years in ministry, I wanted to give up. I probably gave up. But God says to continue, keep on, persevere. As I was prepping for this sermon, two weeks ago I had a panic attack. I was looking at my emails and calendar and uh, everything I had to do for the next two weeks leading up to this sermon. And I took everything for two weeks and put it into five minutes, and I just felt it. I wanted to give up. I didn't want to write this sermon. I didn't want to lead groups. I didn't want to do this. I didn't want to do that. I text pastor, and I said, hey, I'm having a panic attack. Please pray for me. He called me a couple hours later, but after that text, I had prayed to God, and I said, how am I going to get through this? And my mindset was, well, you know what? The first thing I should do is I'll take this off my plate. I'll call Eric and say, hey, you know, I, I can't preach. It's, I got too much going on in these, in these next two weeks. I can't write a sermon. As I'm praying this, I feel like God says, no, don't give up. You need to write this sermon. You need this for you. I'm doing a work in you that you need to go through this process. So I want to encourage you this morning, if you're at that spot in your life, don't give up. He's still doing a work in you. He still has stuff to do inside you and through you. Please be encouraged. I know at times, and especially post-pandemic, we're all kind of done. Let's not be done. The leaders here at New Life are trying to rally people in different ministries. We're trying to get things going again. Please be a part of that. Now, as the worship team comes up, I just have a couple final points. A couple takeaways. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Right? Drink that living water. Live that transformed life, serving others, getting out into the community, testifying what God is doing in your life. Serve others to the glory of God. We don't do things for other people. We don't do things for our pride. We do things for Jesus and to the glory of God. And please, please don't give up. God is doing a work in and through you. Amen? Will you pray with me? Lord Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you that you're that living water transforming our lives. Please let us see your work in our lives and through the vision you have here at New Life and what you're doing with us.
Lord God, we love you. We praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.